Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. Well, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Stimulate Run podcast. I know I say this every episode, but for this episode, I am extremely grateful to have this guest on and very lucky. We, we touched base at the end of last year and um, I think things were really, really crazy for everybody. Um, so I was really happy when I touched base with my guest today and she was keen to jump back on. She's achieved a lot um, and we're going to unpack a lot of that and go into where she's at at the moment with her running and also share some of the challenges that people don't often talk about. So she's a two-time world champion, 100K, two-time Western States and current course record holder, I'm pretty certain. She's the previous Comrades champion as well, and we'll dig into that um, as it's a race after my own heart. Absolutely blistering second half and probably ran Comrades the perfect way. So we can probably call it the perfect day and uh, unpack that. She's uh, <laughs> She just smiled when I said that. So welcome to the Stimulate Run podcast, Ellie Greenwood. Thanks for having me. Let's touch on that, comrades. And I kind of look at it being the perfect day in terms of you really just worried about yourself. So, you know, you went into the race and it was during the time of the Russian twins and their dominance. And I kind of get annoyed for people who have won comrades when there's been a dominant feature and people go, oh, that person had a bad day or, you know, she beat the Russians, but no, you won the race. And to win comrades is something that you have to win. You know, no one loses comrades. Um, how how did that day come, like, you know, pretty much start to finish? Was it perfect for you as it was watching it? No, not at all, which is why I was like smiling when you were saying that, because uh, it was uh, not a textbook race. People said, you know, I, I think I took the lead at like 10 minutes so like two and a half k before the finish line and people are like oh perfect and it's like no that was like desperation measures of last ditch attempt kind of effort right so um i mean if i backtrack a little bit i'd come second two years prior mm-hmm. um and really had had a very good race like that i, I don't know i'd call it perfect but like i came out of 2012 place second I was delighted with having come second like there was no kind of I don't think I really went in that year thinking right I'm here to win I mean sure if I could have won then absolutely I'd have jumped at it if I was in that position but I didn't really you know so when I came out and I was second I was like wow that was amazing um so that was 2012 and I'd been gaining and gaining towards the end. So honestly, like, and you can always say this, right? Should have, could have, whatever, right? But, uh, you know, I came second by 73 seconds. I ran like one of the women's uh, top 10 fastest times ever. Like it's, it's, there's only one other woman's time that is a slower losing, sorry, a faster losing time, right? So it was, I had a really good race. So, so that 2012 gave me the like, well, I only have to, you know, nail it that little bit more or maybe be a tiny bit fitter, right? Like now it seemed like possible. It wasn't yep. like, wow, this is comrades and, you know, second is awesome, but it was like, well, 
small changes and I could get it. Um, 2013, I had a stress fracture, so I couldn't run. Um, so I came back in 2014 and definitely then, I never say like I came to win, but I knew it, I knew it was a possibility because hey, two years before I wasn't a million miles off, right? Um, and so, yeah, and I think having had to sit out for a year sort of made me even more determined and uh, 2014 was a down run and I'm definitely a downhill runner. So like everything was sort of like lined up and that extra level of motivation. Um, and then I just had really tired legs on the day. And thought, oh my goodness. And of course, you know, I mean, one thing that I think anyone needs to have, you know, in ultras or even marathons is this like, well, just keep putting one foot in front of the other, right? You know, like, what's, there's no point in quitting, right? This is the day you've trained for. And um, I always very much have an attitude of like, do the best you can, because then you can be disappointed, but you can't really sort of go, oh, well, I should have done this, or why didn't you go, well, I did the best I could do on the date. It wasn't what I wanted, right? But a sort of no regrets attitude, right? So yeah, no, I like put my head down and all oh, this is a bit miserable and my legs don't feel very fresh and all oh, this isn't very good. And what were you thinking uh, that you could win this race? That was a bit ridiculous. Um, but all of the time I'm trucking along and, you know, moving and I'm in third place. So don't, I mean, you know, listeners might be like, oh, right. Okay. So I was doing all right. But you weren't languishing I had, in 500. I wasn't languishing. No, exactly. Exactly. But it was definitely like, oh, this is not looking like I'm going to win here. Right. Um, but, you know, I kept trucking along and, you know, often in ultras, you go through, a, you might go through a random low patch, like 20K in, and you're going, well, this is going to be a disaster. But if you can keep moving, I kept eating, kept drinking. Uh, all right. And, and you sort of get, I think in comrades, I mean, certainly as an elite runner, I mean, I did walk a bunch, which, and more than I like would have wanted to, but you've sort of, I'm in this tunnel of like, well, I'm going to Durban, right? Mm. Like there was never any thought of like dropping out, right? I think partly because I'd had the injury the year before that it was like, well, you've come here, you couldn't run this last year. So you are finishing this thing, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and then, you know, okay, I'm feeling a little better. And, you know, people on the sidelines were starting to say, oh, you know, the Russians were walking and I'm like, yeah, but I was walking around the corner two minutes ago. You just didn't see me because you were around, you weren't around that corner. So, and of course, you never really trust random spectators. Like, you know, oh, you're catching them. Well, how do you know? Like, not really, right? No. Um, so, yeah, but then it, I did, you know, you, I started to hear more of this. And you said, well, maybe. And then I remember um, there's a hill um coming uphill into pine town i think it is where there's like lots of crowds and you know it's real high energy and i ran up this hill which when i'd run it in 2012 i'd actually walked this hill so i was like okay so now i was really on a mission i was like i'm gonna make it to the finish i can do this and then it's like oh and i'm running this hill like this is pretty good because i'm also i will say in my book, a terrible uphill runner. So this was also quite motivating that like, oh, I'm doing okay on an uphill. And yeah, then I came around the corner and I saw Elena and Alessia Nergaleva and there they both were. And they were probably, I don't know, a hundred meters up ahead on the road. And Alessia was a little further back. Elena is the um, eight time winner. So she, she was ahead of her twin sister, but not by much. And it was just like, 
this is ridiculous. <laughs> I felt so awful and there they are. So then, yeah, then it was just like head down and go for it. And like I said, it was literally like 10 minutes before the finish that I overtook them. Um, so, you know, there, there was a lot of just like, okay, you've got to go, go, go. I mean, ultra running terms of go, go, go. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly sprinting, but I did, you know, I was pushing hard towards the end. And I think partly I had a really strong finish because I struggled earlier on so I was running slower earlier on than like my fitness would allow and I think that was you know maybe it was a bit mental oh, I'm having a bad day and so you sort of oh, walk a little right because you oh I can't run this hill well you probably could right so maybe it was a little bit that maybe it just it was taking my legs to get going but uh, yeah it wasn't tactical this like surge at the end it was just like well you've got to go for it and then there they were and then obviously that was all the motivation I needed so many questions around this so just from your um retelling of the story do you often because you can you just told that so clearly do you reflect on that day very much because you know and again did you also know how big a deal that was you've won massive races before but when did it hit you that this is actually bigger than I thought it was I don't reflect on it tons, right? I mean, if somebody says, you know, like, what's your biggest running achievement? Oh, like winning comrades, hands down, right? And um, I mean, I think some of that is just what personally it means to you. Like everybody's got their event and it might be, you know, because it's the first event they ever ran or their hometown one or whatever it might be, right? Um, but the first, so the year I won was the third year I ran comrades and the first year I came fourth and I was just like, this is amazing, right? So I was totally all in on comrades. But then, yeah, then it's funny, like people have sort of like, I think South Africans are like, oh, you know, you won comrades. I'm like, you come back, like, I mean, I'm British as you people can probably hear, but I live in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Well, most people don't know what comrades yeah, is. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's not a, like, that's not a bad thing. I don't want to be somebody like jaunting. Oh, I've won comrades. I'll get yeah. right. Okay. Like <laughs> what <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, yeah, but it, uh, in terms of a personal achievement, that's, you know, the value to me because it was, and I have said before, but I think, if I hadn't have won it, I sort of feel it would have been the one that had got away because I was really close in 2012. So it would have felt like, like I had the ability to win it. And so if I hadn't, I think I'd have felt like, mm, you know, that just didn't line up, which you could say about a lot of races, right? But uh, it would have felt like I was very close one year and then just didn't put it together. So. And what kind of research goes into you know, as an elite athlete going to a race for the first time, uh, I dare say, you know, you've done massive races around the world, but this is on a different level. Do you watch the race from start to finish, unpack it? Do you contact local people there or do you just turn up and go, well, I'm going to trust my ability and see what happens? Yeah. Okay. So again, there's a few things of one, I mean, I've always worked a full-time job, so I never, like, really, like, I 
no, I'm not criticizing you. Did I ever say, oh, I'm an elite athlete? No, not really. Like at the time I won comrades, I worked for a travel company and was like doing reservations and booking coaches and all this kind of stuff, right? So, which I think is quite good because it like keeps a perspective on it, right? Um, but um, definitely the first year I went, I'd won World 100K in 2010, um, got to know, um, the British team manager for that event, Norman Wilson. And he said, look, Ellie, there's this race in Africa, comrades, uh, like you really should go. And I think I was like, yeah, 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 okay, right. And he's like, no, 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 like you should go to this. And he managed to get, so he got a few of us Brits out that year. He got us a little bit of funding um, from British athletics. And so it's like, yeah, okay, this will be fun. Like I get a bit of my flight paid to South Africa. And oh, by the way, we've got you on Ned Bank, the South African team or so you know i just have to like rock up and people pick me up at the airport and you know okay this this the, so i definitely got some sort of nudged along right to into doing it um not that i didn't want to do it but just i didn't really know much about it right um and then yeah and then that first year i was on the ned bank team and then like i said i just loved it and i was always somebody that honestly ran because like I love running and I like the competition, whatever, but, and so did I used to run for results? Yeah, of course. Like, I don't think you can win these races and go, oh, I didn't care about results. But I mean, I just used to go because I loved being on the Nedbank team and you got to have friends over there. And I mean, just like anyone that runs Comrades, like it's this street party. And if you're an ultra runner, what other ultra do you run where there's crowds all along the way? So it's just such a unique experience. So, um, yeah, sorry, the, fir the first year, no, I really didn't do very much research at all. We drove, I think we drove the course like two days before or something. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm somebody in the, I'm trying to think, yeah, by that point, no, I hadn't run 100 miles by then, but I'd run 100k. So like, I don't think the distance daunted me. I live somewhere with lots of hills. So it certainly wasn't like, wow, this is a hilly race by any means, you know, like, I always did as much trail running as I did uh, road running. So yeah, I think the first year I did pretty much rock up drive the course with somebody a few days before go okay yeah that looks all right and then go run it which it sounds very blasé but in some ways you know it's not a bad approach um to it um and yeah and then I guess once I once I'd seen the course and then maybe going back the other few times I went now I had more of an idea how to train for it so if I was doing if it was a down year okay I should get in some down, hard downhill efforts right um I got like little bits of advice uh from uh Ian Sharman who's a British ultra runner who's run comrades a bunch of time I got a couple of little, little tips from Bruce Fordyce um so yeah but I didn't what a bad reference uh, point no I know I know and I always say like he uh, he told me in 2013 um that I could win the race so I said oh well I decided to believe Bruce because he seems to know a thing or two about comrades <laughs> which is silly but I mean to have someone with that experience to give you okay I don't think he's going to say that just because right mm -hmm. so if he said it well he does know what he's talking about and so just have that re like affirmation and that confidence uh from somebody else is actually quite helpful but 
One of you, I had a question later on down the track, but I'll go to it now about how the difference in, let's say, an elite runner's uh, life might have changed just in way about um, media, social media, uh, things like Strava. You know, when you first started to run ultras and win them um, compared to now, how do you think that would have changed? You know, you said that you worked full time, which in most um, trail ultra runners are still doing, but there's a lot more exposure. So there's a lot of way to make an income externally. How do you think that would have changed your career as a runner potentially? Would it have been detrimental or would it have been a, a, a advantageous? It is kind of funny, right? Like how much I would say things have changed even in 10 years, right? Um, I... <sighs> I don't know would it have been detrimental I definitely think it can be I think it depends on the person right like some people really thrive off that and I do think there are even more uh, trail ultra runners these days who can make you know a reasonable living off sponsorships and race winnings and that kind of stuff um whereas I mean yeah I I don't I mean I don't know exactly what people are these days um but then I mean the nice thing was yeah for me ultimately it was a hobby right so like you know I was back to work two days later and you know carry on as normal right I mean the downside of that was like you know you're working a 40-hour week and then okay when are you going out training like after work on the weekends so like yeah and I used to do like I mean not crazy but like pretty high mileage like probably like 160 to 180k a week easily right and you're doing that on top of a full-time job so I mean sorry I don't know if I'm really answering your question but I mean like I think that to me there probably would have been downside of you know too much social media attention and and but I just back away from that like I'll be honest like you know if some because you don't ultimately have to do that um and I certainly didn't have to because yes I had sponsors but they weren't paying me an amount that made me feel like oh you know I'm now obligated to do x y and z right it was like you know a a small amount and if I did enough hey they're happy enough kind of thing right uh so yeah I think it depends on the person and there's definitely pros and cons both ways well I think it's even how how allowable would you be to let people into everything you know oh I yeah I wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) which I mean I say that now and maybe that's like with the sort of you know I'm ever so old now at 42 right so I just but I think you do get a bit more like well I just won't do that right you know whereas maybe as a a younger athlete oh I've got to do that well you don't Mm. right um and again some people obviously like sharing it like I was amazed um total deviation but like Molly Seidel the American woman who uh, came third at the Olympic marathon like she's you can follow her on Strava and it seems like every single one of her runs is up there and I'm like wow that seems like quite a lot of pressure because you're going to get people asking questions or or what have you got next or this or whatever whereas I think if you can ride the balance of, you know, just hiding yourself away, doing your training, once in a while popping up on Instagram yeah. or Strava and going, I'm here, right? Yeah. Um, but, then, but then I'm also one of like, I 
but this is sorry do you like don't just share the good bits right yes, you know yeah. like i do understand why some people do but you know it's like because yeah nobody wants to share like oh my training is getting terrible and i'm injured and i don't know if i can do this race but on the other hand if it's all sunshines and unicorns that's like it's not telling the full story and you're an influencer if you're out on social media right mm. um i mean i don't have a large following and i I shouldn't say I don't care, but I'm myself on that kind of stuff and people can take it or leave it. And yeah, even these days, yeah, I have a Strava account. If some random person has to follow me, I'm just like, no, nope. <laughs> um, because it, it's of no benefit to me. And I don't really see what they're going to get out of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. So and it's, it's a follow, if you will, you know, if I love something like Strava, well, Strava, you sit there and you go one day you might do a session the next day you do a really slow run and someone oh you're going really slow well you don't have to follow it's you know this is a journal of my running which you are choosing to look at if you don't like it just click on the same like instagram or twitter yeah you don't like my yeah. opinion or what i'm posting you don't have to follow me it's, it's you don't totally have your to choice. follow it yeah exactly and yeah anyway if we could get on the whole <laughs> social media a, story right? absolute... and I think I think social media is great because it allows you know people to share their stories and their journeys and what they did and that can be inspirational and whatever right but you have to you know know how much you're comfortable sharing and you're going to share the bad stuff and the good stuff and I definitely I don't mind the fact like the first year I ran world 100k in 2010 gps watches were quite new and yeah. we were not it was they were banned in the race all right it was seen as like like it was in the race rules you're not allowed to wear a gps watch which a couple of people freaked out about whereas i was very much like, like sure i had one but i'm like all right okay actually i don't know if i even had one at that point yeah so again you you train on feel and you run on feel so yeah yeah, absolute rabbit hole, I think, uh, social yes. media. But <laughs> I um, While look, looking around and doing some research, I saw somebody, I think a friend of yours actually, um, had a quote once, you know, because you, as you're appearing right now, very humble, fun-loving, um, told you um, you really are, you run with everyone. You're in, um, I think it was, told you every runner is your people, Ellie. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> You know, and you can really much see that by just having a chat to you briefly now. And is that always just the way that you've always gone about things? And you want to be able to go run with somebody running six minute Ks and but you're still an elite runner because you love it so much in the community aspect. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I will say I don't mind admitting it. Okay, like when I used to like race competitively, okay, I was I would I would have trouble in running slowly. <laughs> And that's just, I'm a slightly impatient person, right? And I'd be like, oh, I kind of want to or whatever, right? But uh, no, I mean, and again, going back, like at the end of the day, okay, it's running, okay? Yeah. We're not performing brain surgery. We're not doctors saving lives or even teachers or any number of things. You haven't invented something amazing that's going to, you know, change the face of the earth, right? You're running. Right. Yep. Okay. So now you may be very good at it and you're winning these races and that's very cool. Right. Okay. But you're running like it's not. And I think that's a better perspective to have on things. Right. And um, yeah. And like I said, I mean, I first got into 
I always ran a little bit growing up, right? But we didn't really, we did a tiny bit of like track and field at school, but like really, really not competitive kind of stuff, right? Um, and I got into running because uh, I was at the University of York in the north of the UK and the Great North Run was happening in Newcastle, which isn't that far away. And I thought, oh, oh, I'll go do that. And I don't know, I mean, I guess I did always just like going out for a run. I didn't know anyone else doing it. I got on the train, rocked up, ran this half marathon, never had run a race in my life before, right? So, oh, that was good fun. So ultimately I never got into running. I got in at a very recreational level. Right. And so whereas I can see if people get more competitive, like, say, as a teenager or whatever, very early on, they're in for a performance perspective, whereas I came in a bit like Cher Stain. I mean, obviously, I'm not quite as good as she is. Right. OK. But she got into it again. She moved to the Middle East and wanted to get to know people. So she was like, oh, I'll join a running club. Right. And I think you see that in how she performs now. Like, quite clearly, she's gone absolutely next level. But even when you get competitive, you're like, yeah, but I'm doing this because I really like it. I'm not the performance is something that becomes more important, but it's not the be all and end all. Right. So. Yeah, well, that was one of my next questions was how did you get into running? And it's quite interesting. So many people who uh, have come from the UK have said the catalyst was the Great North Run. It's... Well, because it's like just, yeah, like I think it's on TV and it's so big. And I mean, I will say, and I mean, again, this, yeah, like, you know, the London Marathon used to be on TV every year. And I never like seriously watched it going, but I did watch it and go, oh, that looks really cool. Whereas I think some people watch it and go, well, that's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Or like, that looks miserable, right? Whereas all I remember, oh, that looks kind of fun, right? Um, so yeah, and then like I said, you know, I ran for a bit of exercise like at university and then just, oh, I'll do that. Um, and then I moved quite soon after university uh, to Vancouver and my office manager said oh me and some friends are training for a marathon and I'm like all right I'll do that so it sort of like fell onto my plate in a way so I'd have probably found it at some point yeah. <laughs> or would have found you as well yeah yeah <laughs> and then how did ultra running find you or how did you find it um so I lived in Vancouver and I was in my like mid-20s and there's a club here called Club Fat Ass. And every January 1st, they do this 50K run. It's not really like they don't put on races, you know, but it's like, hey, here's a route and, you know, we'll record your times at the end, but there's no bibs, there's no entry fee or whatever. So yeah, like fat ass style kind of stuff, right? And um, so I must have heard about them and I'd done one like trail run with them and thought, oh, that was super fun. And then it's like, wow, you can run longer than a marathon? And it just appealed, right? So uh, yeah, I rocked up. Uh, I think that was about 2005 and yeah did this which in lots of regards this is the other thing I mean again it's not like it was a million years ago right but I feel now people would be like oh an ultra and almost there's too much information out there people go oh well I've got to have this watch and I've got to have the right backpack and oh I read on Strava that somebody went for this run so oh, I better go do that whereas I honestly I have no idea how much I was running before then I have no idea if I trained for it I mean I was running right but I don't know what long runs I went on um I did I was telling a friend the other day I didn't even at that stage have a cell phone a GPS watch 
absolutely not a running like hydration pack and you just sort of went oh well I can probably do that and you rock up and do it so I think sometimes a little bit of ignorance is actually a good thing uh-huh. so yeah it's um one of my questions again I was going to jump to but it's great because you're bringing questions forward just by conversation and the boom in ultra running I'm not sure um in Canada if it's happened but we've noticed in Australia a huge massive influx in ultra interest um and people going not necessarily even from the marathon you know it's from the half marathon to the ultra world and as a put your coaching hat on now which i'll ask you about in a second what's your thoughts on this and the total progression um i know that sometimes i look at it and i go or are you doing it purely because a lot of people are doing it um again the social media world and what's your view on even that in terms of progression I guess I've slightly got a like everybody's welcome attitude right so if you want to come and do one and go bucket list checked it off that was stupid I'll never do it again I'll be like all right well did you have a good I hope you had a good time doing the one race right okay um I mean yeah like it's definitely growing here and just as you were saying that like I mean an interesting example would be like and I think particularly like you know during COVID times where there's been less races and some of the first races to come back were obviously like small trail races right um so as an example there's Reed Corsat, who is a Canadian Olympian, I think two time. Um, he went to Rio and also London in 2012. And then Krista Duchesne, a Canadian uh, Olympian who went to the marathon in 2016 at Rio. Uh, well, in the last year, Reed's run a 100k trail race. He went straight in, right? I'll go right up to a pretty burly 100k trail race. And Krista went out and ran the 50k uh, road Canadian record. And I think if you go back 10 years, like, Olympic marathoners would have gone, I'm not doing that. Like, mm. that's just, whereas now they start going, oh, wait a minute. Like, look, there's there's fast people like Jim Walmsley and Max King and all these folks. And so they sort of go, oh, well, this isn't such a silly sport after all. You've apparently actually have to be quite a good runner to do this, right? <laughs> or if you want to be at the top level, right? Whereas I think before, you know, uh, uh, sort of elite folks would have sort of thought, well, that's just silly, you're running really slowly. Mm. Whereas now I think they start to realize, oh, okay. Like, and there's more attention like in the media and sponsorship and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, but again, like I said, if you know, I, I, it is interesting as a coach, like you get people who, you know, when I coach people, if they start out, they fill out a questionnaire and they're like, yeah, you know, I want to run a hundred miler. And you're sort of looking down, oh, what are your past race results? And like, they've done one road marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I'm honest. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's super goal to have. I said, we should do some shorter distances first. And then don't feel bad if you go, what on earth was I thinking? I do not want to run 100 miles, right? So I think there definitely is a little bit of, you know, people see the Barclay marathons on Netflix or Mm. whatever it might be. And so people sort of get interest, not purely in the sport, but sort of what they see on social media and like movies and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't get the true damage that it, let's say damage in terms of muscle damage that it does and the the respect you need to give it in recovery oh yeah no totally totally right like and and i think that is it like you know although i said with my experience you know ignorance was bliss yeah but i did have a pretty solid background of you know quite a few marathons and i hiked on trails a lot and i'd done some trail runs and that kind of stuff whereas yeah i do see people where i'm like i 
I don't think you quite understand what it's about and you're maybe like picking off more than you can chew and I always say to people like there's nothing special like about running 50 miles like go and do the 25k event at the race Mm. first see if you like it learn what you like to eat and drink figure out oh wow I need to get stronger on hills or like that kind of stuff right so I'm definitely one that like I do slightly encourage like you know yeah like let's build up to things to just yeah be smart about it right and in terms of your own progression did you get a tap on the shoulder by somebody who said hey Ellie you're pretty good at this thing take it seriously or you know was it uh, purely self-driven where you saw some uh, saw some hope uh, or some talent there (laughs) and said actually I need to have a go at this and get everything out of it yeah so um again I mean I'm somebody I've never sat down and they did a 10-year plan of my life or anything right you know I just sort of life happens and if an opportunity pops up and we know that sounds a bit I'm not totally like that right but I'm not somebody all right I can do do this but what I do remember is um it no longer exists now but there's a race called Stormy 50 Miler and it's up in Squamish in BC so uh, between Vancouver and Whistler um so I did Stormy one year as my first 50 Miler um and then I went back the next year and ran like an hour faster. Um, and uh, the race director, Wendy Montgomery, um, she had been on the, she's, I don't want to offend Wendy. She's probably 10 years older than me. Um, and a, she'd been on the Canadian 100K team. And she said, Ellie, with that time you've just run, you could come top 10 at World 100K. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. Well, it's like, no, you're joking, right? But but again, kind of like Bruce Fordyce, Ellie, you can win comrades. I thought, well, Wendy does know what she's on about, right? Okay. Um, and then I can't remember if it would have been the next year or the year after, but that certainly made me like, okay, I'm well, first I need to try qualify, right? Um and no disrespect to Canadians, but at that point I wasn't a Canadian citizen and I found out. Uh, oh well obviously you can't run for Canada so then I looked at the British qualifying times and went oh Frank you have to be faster to be on the British team right so I thought oh I've just got to up my game more and yeah I went and ran a 100k race which would have been I think yeah my first 100k race and ran a pretty fast time and yeah got the qualifying got selected for the British team so yeah it's, it's people along the way and I don't think would I have considered that? I don't know, right? But uh, yeah, it was certainly somebody who's, again, I thought, well, they do know what they're saying. And that was appealing, right? Of yeah. like, because I didn't grow up as in an athletic background. So like, I still remember when I got sent my first GB kit, I was like, this is what Paula Radcliffe wore to the Olympics. <laughs> I, I thought they'd send us some sort of like Mickey Mouse, like hand-me-down versions. <laughs> and it was like, well, and you know, and I think just because I was like, wow, this is what like, the Olympians and stuff where and I'm not getting over the top I'm going to world 100k it's not the Olympics right but uh yeah certainly if people encouraged me along I was I would take the bait and try and get better so and then even turning up to races uh almost as a defending champion or uh you know being talked about as a possible winner how did that ever sit with you or did you zone out from it or did you just embrace it and go well you know I still control my own destiny 
yeah, I don't think, I mean, I never felt there was so much that was like overwhelming, right? You know, like it was like, yeah, there's little bits here and there of like attention or whatever, but I guess I knew fundamentally like, well, my friends and family want me to do well, but they, they but they want me to do well for me, right? Mm -hmm. So, it, it, and they're the ones that matter. So if I don't do badly, they're not going to go, well, that was terrible, wasn't it, right? And yeah, of course, it's nice when, you know, you get congratulations from people you don't know, but uh yeah, no, I think, you know, and the more results you get, I never got like overconfident, but you do start to go, well, again, I won that race or I've raced against that person and you passed results. So, okay, I'm, I fit in here. I should, you know, put myself, you know, up in the races. So, yeah. You've had your fair share of highs and lows. Um, let's say not of late, but more of the lows in terms of injury and probably the frustration of trying to find out what the injury was. Um, you know, 2016, I think you, you started getting some hip um, issues and it took you some time. I'm not sure even now if you know what it actually nope. was. Um, do you want to just take us through, I suppose, those highs and lows of a running career and um, yeah, how, you, how you've dealt with them over time? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So, um, I mean, I think this is maybe the one good thing well there's many good things but one of the things in the changes of ultra running is I mean when I started running ultras in like you know 2008 2009 kind of years like people just they ran them every weekend right it was oh yeah do, oh there's a 50 mile in two weeks yeah, okay I'll do that right um so whereas I think now people because there is more information out there right people say oh wait a minute people most people not everybody right but a lot of people are pickier and choosier and and there's not an expectation that you'll race like some crazy crazy amount right um so yeah anyway i mean i, I yeah i was training for comrades in 2016 and i mean kind of irrelevant I was super fit at the time but then like the month before I just got this weird like groin injury and you know, well, you know I mean again it wasn't oh well I mean I was panicking right it was a month before comrades but you sort of you know my physio's not like oh my goodness like, okay you know we'll work on this and um yeah I've just been chasing niggles for the past five years basically right of like one little thing and another and nothing ever really goes away and then something else appears for like no real reason and when I'm running way less than I was and yes okay I'm older and you can't always assume that you'll be able to run the same as you did before and this kind of stuff right but uh, yeah I mean I've never really got well I haven't at all and I've been scanned and zapped and you know sent to a million specialists um, a very good doctor uh, here in Vancouver and they all just scratch their heads and well no initially they say ah oh, I think we'll be able to figure this out and then after a couple of months they go no I don't know what this is either right so uh, yeah no I mean it was I'm standing all cheery now um, and you just uh, think like anything in life you have to accept it over time right you know and obviously when it first happened it wasn't like it was just like no, this is a minor injury, it'll be fine. Yeah. And everybody thought that, right? And of course, there's the initial, I'm disappointed to miss comrades. And then I can't remember what the next race was, but then it's like, oh, I'm not going to get ready for that one. And then you go, okay, well, next year, what's going to be on the radar next year? And then you can roll into next year. So, you know, it wasn't some traumatic, like big event of like, wow, you're running, Ooh, this is not looking good. It was just over time of like, oh, this is not getting a ton better. And yeah, so we'll see. Maybe 
maybe I'll stay optimistic. <laughs> and in terms of the moments, you know, you would have had the false hope moments. Um, you would have had the, oh, let's chuck it in. I've had enough of this. And then the, well, no, let's channel it and let's move into something else, which you kind of really have shifted your focus. What were some, did you remember any of those like key dates where, like you said, you walked into the doctor's surgery and then you walked out going, oh, I've got the magic tablet. It's all cured. And the next day, no, we're back to square one. No, not, not really. Um, I mean, I'd started coaching before a couple of years before this injury. Right. And um I mean, whether that's, I guess there's pros and cons. I mean, I love coaching, right? And I always say, like, I, I mean, maybe I channel some of my not being able to race into other people being able to race and get some kind of satisfaction. I mean, I don't like to say that too much because I don't really, and then I don't want people that I coach to have the pressure of, like, got to do it for Ellie because, she, no, not at all, right? Um, but, you know, it's allowed me because, obviously, I mean, like, I was in a running club, like, you know, all my friends practically are runners, right? Like that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a big shift, but again, it wasn't overnight. And I, I had some little upticks, I think in 26, no, 2018, I think I ran a couple of 50 Ks and like that kind of stuff. So there's been little optimistic blips along the way. And uh, yeah, but you just have to gradually go like, okay, well, I can't run right now. And maybe I can in a few months. And I'm not naive. Like, I mean, I, I can jog a little right now, but I mean a little, but I do a lot of hiking, right? Mm. And I've got running friends who like to hike. So like, that's great. And you just have to... I mean, you, I don't like to say this because I do think some people probably would have a harder time with it, but like you have to get on with it in life, right? And just go, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I've got an awesome job coaching other people and I can get out and hike and, you know, still get out or I go like volunteer at races and that's a cool way to stay involved in the community if you can't race yourself. Um, so yeah, you just figure out a way. I don't blame people who sort of walk away entirely. Um, mm that would have been impossible for me unless I changed my job because I was a running coach, right? Like I'd have had to have gone, okay, I'm just getting out of here, right? Um, but then even then, like people have said, oh, you know, do something else. But it's like, yeah, but what? So I just abandoned like all my friends. No, they're my mm -hmm. friends. Yes, they're friends I made through running, but you can't just... I have said it before, it's a bit like, and again, I shouldn't be political. It's a bit like the UK trying to leave the EU. It's not very simple. And I say no. it's like Ellie giving up running. It's not that simple. There's too many interconnections. And uh, yeah, like I still love running and the running community. So you find a way to sort of stay involved in other ways. So, yeah. Do you think if you hadn't been injured, um, you would have found coaching and also maybe you would have found it but not have, have been so passionate about it oh no I mean like I said I started coaching in 2014 and okay. then I got injured in 2016 and no I love it like it's like it's super I get to talk about running all day I mean what else what could be worse? you want to do a... I used to say to people there's two things I like running and talking about running <laughs> so a uh, uh, yeah no I think I would have done it um I mean, who knows, like, let's say I hadn't had an injury like this. I don't think I would have carried, I don't think anyone would have carried on racing the amount I did. Like I had a few years there where I raced quite a lot. Would I still be running a hundred milers in comrades? Probably, right? Um, but I think, again, there's nothing wrong if people after, you know, five, six years, particularly when, I mean, I'm not saying, but you know, like 
I trained hard, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not, whereas if you're, if you're taking part in races to sort of do well, but you're not like pushing the sort of elite level of training, yeah, maybe you can do that for like 20, 30 years, right? Um, but I think there was normally, there's nothing wrong with a natural progression of like, okay, I don't know, I want to like train quite as hard and race quite as much, but who knows, I don't know. And I think it comes down to positive obsession. Um, a lot of people who aren't runners you know you probably bump into and go how can you love running so much it's a punishment for us and around team sport generally um you know do you have a view on how running and you can see that it's very much a pillar in your life so in a way it's a positive obsession but it's also your career um can you can you see if from the outside how people would look at that and go oh she loves that too much um she talks about it and lives and breathes it um, do you have a view? Yes, but but I think that I think if there's negative things, I guess that's and again, I'm not an expert on this, right? You know, when people say they're running addicts, and then people rightly jump in and go, "No, you're not actually addicted," you know, and like, what's the sign of an addiction? You know, like mm. you. So, I mean, yeah, if you were making sacrifices of you know, not going to social engagements because, oh, I've got to run, right? Or, you know, skipping out on stuff or being exhausted for work because you're like, yeah, but I've got to go and get all this training and whatever. Okay, then I think you start to go, mm, is this not? Whereas, okay, what's wrong with being fairly narrow with your interests right yeah. you know and also like I said you know I mean I always had trail and ultra running and like an example this silly example but you know this past weekend I was out hiking with friends and you know one of them knows a ton about trees right so we're like talking about trees right so we're not out there going like right well, what race are you doing next or what's mm. this or what's that kind of stuff so it, I, I guess it depends what level or or again you know what's wrong with being obsessed by running if that means you go to your running club every week and go to the pub afterwards and have a beer and a social right so I guess there's yeah different uh yeah yeah absolutely and I think that's what a lot of potential non-runners don't see they're seeing the solving of the world problems on a Sunday morning long run um, <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. you get to like you know I got to travel to really cool places and I like traveling so that was a nice thing right so it's not literally like yeah I mean I used to like treadmill running as well but if it was all treadmill running on your own I'd start to go mm, I'm not sure this is quite such a healthy thing right but it's the travel experiences and the people and the socials you have afterwards and like I said what you see when you're out trail running or whatever it might be right so yeah I don't think uh, I mean definitely yeah it can but I don't think I was never at the like obsessive obsessive <laughs> level so, or not with the negatives so. What are some of the learnings you've taken from your running into life? Jeez, um, that's kind of hard. Um, I mean, I guess I was, you know, I'm a bit of a believer of sort of like, if you work at something, you know, I think that's, that is one of the things I value about running is it is hard work, right? So mm-hmm. you get out what you put in, right? Um, and again I'm not saying with everything in life you know but sometimes these days it's like oh you can just buy things right okay well running you can buy the fanciest shoes the best this and best that you still have to put the work in right um so yeah maybe a little bit of that right I, yeah yeah 
And in terms of advice, um, you know, we live in a society where everybody wants to give you their two bobs worth. Um, what was some of the best advice you were given, um, even from mentors um, early days? And even might have been last week, what was some of the best advice around your running you were given? Hmm. I don't, that's hard. Um, yeah, like I don't, there's definitely no one thing, and that sounds terrible, right? There's no one thing that like jumps out, right? Um, yeah, of what made the difference or that, or that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to ask you for your advice. Um, so <laughs> we've got a range of listeners that, you know, compete at different levels, but, um, you know, this might be first marathon um, comrades. So in terms of, uh, let's talk about uh, comrades because one of the panelists on Road to Comrades, another show that I host, is a novice and he's been holding out to get to comrades for over two years now. Yep. What advice would you give to a, a novice runner? Um, but I'm also would like to ask, an elite novice runner so let's give some general novice advice but also some elite advice as well yeah okay for comrades yeah yeah okay so i guess i would say time your training right like don't start doing okay again it depends what your experience or whatever let's say you've never run an ultra or you've maybe run one or two that kind of stuff right okay don't start like going massive mileage, like, well, I found out I've got in like November and December, I'm hitting out crazy miles, right? So yeah, do do start building in enough time, right? Okay. But and again, this is a Bruce Fordyce thing, you know, the big months of training are March and April, right? So you want to have built up enough that you're ready for those, but you don't want to have done too much that either you're physically tired or you're just mentally worn out and you're like, oh, I'm like done with this, right? Because then it's like, well, it's kind of helpful you did that training in November, but it would be better if you were doing it right now, right? So I'd say time your training, like build up gradually. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing of like, how much do you have to run to get yeah. ready for comrades? And it's so individual, right? Okay. Um, but I think a typical sort of comrade statement is, you know, you should get to some, a couple of peak weeks where you run about race distance, total in a week right so hopefully sometimes in April you might hit some 80 kilometer weeks but you don't need to be doing those in November and you don't need to do 10 weeks like that you know again we're talking like you know if you're a beginner you just want to get around and have a good time right but you should kind of get to that um, and then I guess it also depends you know where you live right but comrades is hilly right um now you might live somewhere very hilly and go now that was fine it wasn't at all right but if you live somewhere flat try and get ready for the hills like whether it's treadmill or stair repeats or you go away for a couple of weekends and do you know purposely go to the marathon that you would never do because it's too hilly but go do it like in comrades preparation right um but uh, yeah, get ready for that. Um, and then one more tip for beginners is uh, figure out what you can eat and drink, right? Mm -hmm. I think in a marathon, 
ideally you eat and drink, but you can like fake your way through if you really need to, right? Whereas something like comrades, um, it's going to be way, way easier if you've practiced and you know, yeah, how much can I eat? How much can I drink? Is that sitting in my stomach all right? Because then you've got energy levels, right? Because you can be as fit as anything, but if you can't eat and drink, you're now kind of in trouble. So, yeah. And gels will only get you so far. It's, uh, you know, in a, you'll get to 60Ks and you'll well and truly have enough of those gels at some point. And um, be open, I think, as well, where I've spoken to a lot of international runners and they see Coke or potatoes. And yep. it's like, oh, but I don't have those things normally. And well, on Comrades Day, you're going to be having them. It's uh... be, be open to trying other things, but I'm getting contradictory. I mean, like, I mean, and okay, I get it that I was finishing in a fairly fast time, right? And this is the other thing. Like, do listen to advice from elites, but bear in mind, they may be taking four or five hours less to do the race than you, right? So what they say, oh, wear these lightweight shoes. For most people at Comrades, I'm like, wear your comfortable pair of trainers, right? Yeah, uh, yeah but if you can eat gels for 11 hours, absolutely go ahead, they've got enough yeah. calories. <laughs> but you might not want to, that's the other thing. Yep. Yeah, I've yep. seen, I think in my first Comrades, I started with, oh, what have been about 10? And I think I got to halfway and put, left the rest in the pack. Um, and then second yep. time around, I was like, yeah, I'll start with half the amount as last time. And we'll just eat some normal food like everybody else is. Yeah, here, so. no, exactly, exactly. And everybody's, and this is always a, you know, everybody's individual way of, you know, like listen to lots of people for advice because one thing somebody says might not work for you. So, yeah. And then how about somebody on the cusp, um, you know, of that real breakthrough in the field to the top end? So at the moment, you know, they might be sitting yeah, near the, the front end of the field, but to really get to the sharp point of it, what advice would you give them about, you know, training and maybe lifestyle? Um, you know, there's probably going to be have to be a point of um, sacrifice to make that next level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So something I probably would have done more of now in retrospect, but didn't anyway, is maybe you want to consider strength training. Like I always did do some, but in a bit of a haphazard and not really knowing what I was doing. And then uh, in 2016, before I got injured, not linked, I actually started seeing a personal trainer. And I just think then like, you're going to Again, okay, most people can only run so much. So then you want to go, if you want to get better, okay, what extra things are you going to add in, right? So getting enough sleep is good. Don't get obsessed by your diet. But if you know you've got maybe not the greatest diet, do you want to try and like, you know, just work that out a little bit I nearly used the word clean but I don't like the word <laughs> clean diet sorry <laughs> anyway but that kind of stuff yeah strength work you know whether it's an up run you've got to power up those hills right or if it's down run you've got to be like tough to like tolerate all that downhill right um and then one thing um I did, I mean, I always, uh, I was a member of a running club in Vancouver that was mostly um, like, as a, by and large, like road runners, so sort of 10K half marathon marathon runners. Um, so I always did speed work, but the year I won Comrades in the, Feb no, in the April, I ran a half marathon uh, PB, 
right so if you want to get better don't just throw on more miles Mm -hmm. like put some quality in there as well and that might mean certainly for a little while that you can't do as many miles right because you're now getting like stress out of like doing speed work um but if you're uh, yeah if you want to get right up there i would be doing tempo runs and hill repeats and that kind of stuff so perfect well thanks so much for your time in closing i normally ask every guest if you had advice for your younger self what would it be a Probably, can I, can I, I would have too much advice. You can so have, I'm like, throw can as I, many as can you I have like. a whole shopping list <laughs> of things I would have said. I would have said, uh, race less, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm not saying this because I'm a coach, maybe get a coach or more guidance, right? Mm-hmm. Because then they would probably say, hey, race less, race right? Less. Okay. So, and part of this is coming to like recovery, right? Okay. Um, yeah and those that seems really negative advice get a coach and and do less running right but just be smart like pick and choose don't get carried away right and probably I would add in there yeah like I would probably have done better strength training early on that might have made me a bit more sort of resilient to getting injured and tying in with I'd have probably got less injured if I hadn't got I mean, I was just like a puppy dog. I was like, well, there's a race. Let's go do that one. Right. So I think, yeah, if I sort of taken some time off every year just to like, you know, focus on strength and relax and run and bring the run mileage right down. And then, okay, now back to the next year, but pick a select number of races. Well, it's so, it's true. I mean, what you're saying is it's fundamentals. It's, you know, there's no lie when the elite marathoners say, well, they're doing two max a year. And that's the yeah. reason is because they need to recover from the effort. They're not jumping into everything that's on offer. Um, yeah. Just trying to grab checks or, and, uh, yeah. No, and this is it. Like, it, it depends, you know, like people have to think these things through and coming back to your question, what advice would you give an elite person? Well, maybe if you have been racing a lot, you want to race less. Whereas I don't blame the enthusiastic middle of the packer who just loves racing. But if you're not racing every mm. one of those races, if some of them are like, I went along with a bib and I had a great time and I ran with my friend who was probably, you know, 45 minutes slower than I would have run. Okay, now that's a different thing, right? Yeah. So always intrigues me still though when people say oh i'm just going to go do a training marathon and i sit there and go yeah but it's still a marathon and yeah and you have to be super disciplined right to go i'm not going to get carried away and also i mean this is what i you know without wanting to offend some of my coaching clients i say to them like you know most ultras have cutoffs along the way so can Mm. you afford to do it at training pace because if you're a back of the pack runner every race is genuinely you're pushing yourself well okay now you can't do training races because you can't do an easy effort you won't make the cutoffs right so yeah yeah well perfect thanks so much ellie um really appreciate you sharing uh some of your learnings as well and just the highs and lows there'll be plenty of people out there that can um put themselves in your your shoes and Hopefully they get something out of this as well. And uh, fingers crossed. Well, you know, maybe even if you're sitting at the back of the pack with us one day, we can. Uh... Oh, I would. <laughs> if I could finish it back of the pack, I will be back there in a heartbeat. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, no, like, good luck to all the listeners. Let's cross our fingers that uh, 
one the race goes ahead two we can all escape our relevant countries to go yeah. um and, and then we yeah, don't have good. to go back into isolation when we get back so that'd be yeah, the, yeah, yeah 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 well you know sometimes you go i would say isolation's worth it for comrades it's a pretty cool experience so yeah it might be worth it so yeah cool.